Well, good afternoon. It is May the 4th on 2023. It's 3 p.m. in the afternoon, the hour of mercy as we begin this month of May, the month of our Blessed Mother. We place all of our hearts unto her that she would ever lead us closer to Jesus. So the first thing we do is we pray in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for our mother, which Jesus gave to us to lead us ever closer to you. We place ourselves under her protection and intercession. We ask you, Holy Father, to fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to accept all that you have done for us, that we may live to do your holy will and only your holy will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. And then Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Happy May. Sorry I wasn't with you last week. And I'm not going to be with you for the next two weeks because I am going to be in the Holy Land. So God willing, I have 74 people that are coming over with me. If uh, some of you watching are going to be there, we will see you next week. I will be there. I leave on Tuesday. The rest of everybody else leaves on Wednesday. Um, so I can get there ahead of everybody and welcome everybody when they come. So we am looking forward to that. And we're going to do, uh, God willing, the plan is to do all kinds of uh the masses and that and everything and have it recorded over YouTube just like this so you can participate in our pilgrimage in the Holy Land and I will do some talks in that from there uh, and let you see some of the things that we see because this is my third uh, or fourth time, third time I think. Um, so I have been there and seen uh, everything that we're going to see so this will be a way for you to participate so we're going to have a fine time over there. So, uh, And I'll be praying for you and your intentions at all the various shrines. Okay, today what we do is we have a half hour of uh, uh, teaching and a half hour of questions and answers. And so what I want to talk about is truly about salvation. Because, you know, from they put these little shorts together from... Uh, these podcasts and there's one that was put out when we had the other uh, video person but for whatever reason now every day every day every day it's seen and every day every day every day I get comments on it and uh, the title was uh, what sins damn you to hell forever which I would have never have used as a title but anyway he did and he put it out and it gets a lot of, uh, you know, I don't know how many minutes it is, but uh, so many people, because the, the whole point, if you were with us throughout the time when we've done it, it was about the only time Jesus talks explicitly about who goes to hell is I was hungry and he gave me no food. Get out of my sight, you condemned to the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So I talk about, according to Christ, we need to take care of the poor. And so, uh, oh, Many people have said, no, the only thing you have to do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're leading people astray at salvation by works and da, 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 da. So I thought it'd be important for us to come and to talk about salvation. 
And what we believe as Catholics, what we believe as Christians, what we believe about what Jesus did. So let's go into it. First of all, everyone is in need of salvation because St. Paul says, all have sinned and all are deprived of the glory of God. And then he says, all are justified by, by Christ. But the, where we all sinned was when Adam and Eve sinned, that we're all born into this sin, the original sin. You don't do anything to deserve it. It's kind of like I have often said throughout the years, it's kind of like uh, both your parents have AIDS and then you get conceived and then you 99% will have AIDS also. Uh, the way it used to be anyway, I don't know the way all the medications and that are today, but whatever it is. Um, so you don't do anything for it, it's just you inherit it. So everybody is inherited and are separated from God from the very beginning. All of us when we're born, we need a savior. And so when we sinned, our first parents sinned and put us all into damnation or separation from God, we needed a savior. And from the very beginning in, in uh, Genesis, God always promises the savior through our mother um, that our lady you know, will produce a child and that child will crush Satan. The old uh, translation, which was a, not a true translation, means it, uh, it was a, um, a bad translation. And you still see the pictures of Mary crushing the head of uh, Satan in a lot of uh, pictures of Mary. But it's her offspring would do that, and her offspring being Jesus. That Jesus is the one who saves us, not Mary. We call her co-redemptrix because she had to say yes and bring salvation to the world, but Mary doesn't save us. Jesus Christ saves us, and he saves us by dying on the cross. So God already promised salvation when he threw us out of the garden. Uh, already he gives us hope. huh? And so we all are in need of salvation. We don't, even if you had never commit a mortal sin, you still need salvation. And so what we all believe, of course, is that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for all sin from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. He redeemed us all. He redeemed all the world. Just like Adam, none of us did anything to deserve uh, separation from God when Adam and Eve sinned. So too, when Jesus dies on the cross, none of us deserves the redemption that he won for us, but he did. And again, Paul makes the argument as in Adam, we all sin. So in Christ, we're all justified. So Christ pays the penalty for all of our sins. Every person sins in the whole world from the beginning to the end. Uh, now, that does not mean everybody is saved, just so you know. We'll get to that in a second, because already I see some of your heads starting to spin around and say, oh, everyone's got to be saved. Nope, that's not true because of free will. We choose to receive what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, and that's salvation, when we receive what Jesus Christ did for us. Now, we all believe Catholics, Protestants, um, 
Most Protestants do not believe that Catholics believe this, but it's in the catechism. And again, I brought out the catechism, of course, which I just have noticed that this uh, <laughs> thing behind me, the shelf, is ready to fall off the wall. So we got to get that fixed. So when I took this off the wall. It was like, uh, hope it doesn't fall on me during the podcast today. But anyway, we're going to have to get it fixed while I am away. But here in Grace, this is paragraph 1996 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Our justification comes from the grace of God. Grace is favor, the free and undeserved help that God gives us to respond to his call to become children of God, adoptive sons, partakers of the divine nature and eternal life. So we can all sing together, and we do, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I'm catching a cold in case anybody's wondering. Anyway, (laughs) but we're all saved by grace. That's what we all believe by definition as a Christian. So if everybody would stop emailing me and doing all these things, and say, you Catholics don't believe you're saved by grace. I just told you the paragraph number that explicitly says we're saved by grace. There is no argument here. Again, as I talk about with Mary, the ultimate thing of grace, that Mary did nothing, our, our teaching of the uh, Immaculate Conception, Mary did nothing to get to merit being... Uh, saved by grace when she was saved the moment she was conceived in the womb. She was saved by grace because God's in an eternal now and Jesus Christ died on the cross. God the Father took what Jesus would do on the cross and place it on Mary at the moment of her conception so Jesus Christ would not take on sin in his physical body. So she had to be sinless, not for her. But again, Mary did nothing. She wasn't good enough. She didn't do, she didn't do anything. It was 100% grace, grace, grace. (laughs) I'm going to try not to yell because someone came to me the other day and talked about how they left one of my missions uh, after the first night because I yell. And so I'm trying to think, "Ah, I hope I, uh, I do yell, but I try to get people's attention. But it's something for me to pray about. Anyway, so we all believe we're saved by grace. Can we all breathe now for a second? Now, it's how do you receive that grace? How do you receive what Jesus did for us, the redemption of the world? How do you receive that? Well, that's where we get to have little differences here, huh? Protestants, because of uh, primarily Martin Luther, said we're saved by faith alone. Um, And it's from the God, it's from the re, uh, from the Bible, of course, it says we are saved by faith, we are saved by faith, we are saved by faith. But nowhere, nowhere in the Bible, you can look it up, does anywhere, does Jesus or anyone say we're saved by faith alone? But we're saved by faith. The church agrees with that. You have to believe in that Jesus Christ died for you, that he paid the penalty. Now, as an aside, you got to make sure you buy that, you believe that. You're not going to pay the penalty for your sins. Jesus did on the cross. He paid the penalty 
for your and my sin. So the first thing we got to do is have that faith to believe it. And then we got to live that faith by how we work. Because uh, when we receive Jesus and by faith, and we receive what he did, then Jesus lives inside of us. And then we no longer live, but Jesus lives in me. So Jesus then takes care of the poor inside of us. Jesus then, uh, we bring the works because Christ lives inside of us. But it's all Jesus, it's not us. We gotta get out of the way. But So for Protestants, it would be we're saved by faith alone. We believe we're saved by faith and works. And uh, just as an aside, often people will say, you know, uh, are you born again? And then you say, well, what exactly does being born again mean? And they say that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, please. Every day when I do uh, Mass, I always talk about receiving Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Every Sunday, receive Jesus. Jesus, come into my heart, take control of my life. Be my Lord and God and Savior. I say that every single day. You can read, look at all my stuff online, every single Mass. Um, so we, we have to receive Jesus, our Lord and Savior. But that is not what, or nowhere in the Word of God does it say, to be saved, you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It says you have to have faith in Christ. There's a lot, but nowhere does it say that explicitly. In fact, the only time when someone asks Jesus, and again, that's why I always want to come back. You know, I found out the other day that there's a movement in the Protestant church, which I, I, I haven't heard it uh, with any of my friends that are Protestant pastors and that, but I guess it's a big thing now um, that Jesus was speaking to the Jews in the Gospels and uh, Paul spoke to the Gentiles, but because we're all Gentiles, we don't listen to what Jesus says, we just listen to what Paul says. <laughs> I can't believe that at all, but I talked to some Protestant the other day, he goes, yeah, that's true. Well, let me tell you, if we cannot sit there and believe what Jesus says and take him at his word, then there's an issue, there's a problem. So we're, I'm going to always go back to what Jesus says. So again, if we go to John, and it talks about, you know, the only time Jesus explicitly talks about what does it mean to be born again? Because again, Jesus himself said, no man can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born from above or born again, depending on your translation. And this is all in John chapter 3, the gospel of John chapter 3. And so in chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above, or again, being born again, depending on your translation. So Nicodemus asks him explicitly, what does this mean? <laughs> so he says, Nicodemus said, so how can a person once grown old be born again? Surely he cannot enter his mother's womb and be born again, can he? So Jesus, what do you mean? He's asking him explicitly. Again, this is the God of the universe. So God doesn't lie to us. Jesus, who is God, does not lie. So in John chapter 3, verse 5, he explains what it means to be born again. And so this is how do we receive uh, salvation in our lives. Jesus answered, amen, amen, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, go to heaven, without being born of water and the Spirit. What does that mean? 
It means baptism. That we need to be baptized to enter the kingdom. Water and the spirit. That's why they baptized Jesus the right before he went to heaven in Matthew's gospel. He says, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the way we enter into salvation is through baptism. Now, with baptism, it's not just going through a ritual. It takes faith. So again, people go crazy then. Well, a child does not have faith. How can that child be saved through the ritual of baptism? Well, the child needs faith, and it's uh, given the, the faith that's given to that child is through the church, to its parents, to its godparents. But one day, that child has to receive the gift that was given to the child at baptism. Same with you. It isn't magic to get baptized. We have to receive the gift. We have to open up the gift of grace that was given to us. And that's from our, the way we live, through our faith, and through our works. Again, this doesn't take away all the grace of God. It's all grace. Even with, for us to do works, it's by God's grace. We can't do it of ourselves. It's all by the grace of God. Now, this being said, remember there's three types of baptism. There is the baptism of water, the church is taught, water and the spirit. There's the baptism of blood, like the, the children, uh, the holy innocents that were killed in their own blood for Christ or a martyr. And there is the baptism of intention uh, or desire, that a person's desiring to be baptized, but for whatever reason, they don't get there. Now, the Catechism also teaches, or Vatican II also teaches, that everyone is saved, and I don't have the exact uh, thing. You can look it up. It's not that hard. Just ask uh, in, in Google. Uh, can, it says even an atheist can be saved if they're an atheist through no fault of their own. And I was talking on when I was on EWTN, and I used to have to read it a lot because they would say only Catholics get saved, and that's not the teaching of the church. It just isn't. Look it up. Look up Vatican II, and there might be some of you saying, well, see, that's why Vatican II isn't real. You're not real. You have no idea what you're talking about. The teaching of the Catholic Church is expressed in Vatican Council II. So you mightn't agree with that, which means you're no longer Catholic. That's beside the point. This and a whole other argument that we'll do with a deal with another time. But for Catholics, it says we are all saved by Jesus Christ, period. So nobody can go to heaven, an atheist, a Buddhist, a Muslim. None of them can go to heaven except by Jesus Christ. Why? It says in John's gospel again that through him, this is John chapter 1, through him all things were made and apart from him nothing came to be. So Christ um, was the one who created us all and Christ died on the cross. He died for everybody. In fact, again, in the catechism, it was uh, I, I read it for somebody the other day and I was just uh, uh, very touched by it hopefully I can find it fast enough here um, do 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 but it says um, that there never was and never will be anyone who God did not die for on the cross and that just was like fantastic you know when I sat there and I read officially in the church because sometimes, again, we get a little crazy about uh, 
that we're we're the ones saved, everybody else is going to hell, and all this kind of ridiculousness. Um, You know, we try to take the place of God, and then we use particular scriptures that find out what I believe. And it doesn't matter what anybody else believes, because this is what I believe, and until everybody else falls into that, then I can't find it right now. But again, it was just fantastic that this is what God says in the church, that God died for everybody, Jesus on the cross. Now we have to receive that. But if an atheist or a Buddhist or a Muslim have never heard of Jesus Christ, they still have, according to Vatican II, the possibility of salvation. If they're doing what they believe in their heart is the will of God, and they're seeking out with all their heart, and they're loving other people, reaching out and uh, stuff. They will be saved by grace. Isn't it amazing? Grace is, you know, mercy we often say is uh, giving something good who doesn't deserve it. Grace is the unmerited gift of God. Now let's go back to that. Grace is the unmerited gift of God. You can't earn grace. It's given to you. Again, like Mary didn't uh, earn grace. She received grace. And we have to receive grace. And again, the main way to do that is through baptism. But God is not limited to what we tell him he's limited by. huh? Um, and again, I just think that's so important. Uh, but the reality is when we're talking about all this stuff, We have to receive and let Jesus Christ live his life through us. We're not doing these works to earn God's grace. We're not sitting there at the end of our life. You know, it's not going to be, okay, God, look at all the good I did for you. No, that's not going to save you. It's going to be everything that God did for me and how I humbled myself and received that gift. And then I lived that gift. Again, when we believe that uh, we're saved by grace, it's kind of like we're all born at the bottom of the ocean. And it's dark. And as soon as we're born, we're dying because, or we're dead, if you will, depends on the analogy, how far you want to take it. But then Jesus comes down to us with an eternal oxygen tank. We can't do anything. We're dead or dying. And Jesus takes the eternal oxygen tank from him and he puts it on us. Then he dies, giving us the life. But if we don't breathe in and breathe out the gift, we die too. So grace is God coming down and giving us this eternal life, paying for our sins, justifying us before the Father. Justice is fulfilled in the death of Jesus for all of us. And then we take the gift and we breathe it in and we breathe it out. We breathe it in with our faith. We breathe it out with our works. But grace is the same breath by the power of the Holy Spirit that we do both. But we got to do our part. It's all God who gave us the gift. It's all his grace, all his power. But we have to breathe it in and we got to breathe it out. And so those two uh, things are what we say in the church that we're saved by grace, through faith, and works. 
Faith works. Faith works. The breath is the Holy Spirit, the Ruah of God, the grace of God, the power of God, all God. But we do our part in using the gift that God has given us. Again, I use the analogy for when I'm doing confirmation retreats or something. If the church, and we do give you a gift of eternal life at baptism in Jesus Christ, if you don't ever open the gift, you die. If I give you a million dollars and it's all wrapped up and you never open up that gift and you die of starvation because you never opened up the gift, it wasn't my fault or anybody else's fault. It was yours for not using the gift that you were given. When God gives us this gift of grace, we got to use it if we're going to live forever. huh? So I just wanted to, you know, like, I'm not, I ain't going to stop it, of course, I ain't going to stop it, but at least have people understand why we believe what we believe. It's very scriptural. If you, if you want this in deeper, uh, just go to catholic.com and look in how is a Catholic, how are we saved, just simple as that. And it'll give you the tradition and the fathers and the scriptures, and there's so much more. Um, and again, you can sit there and... Um, we can argue back and forth and we can all have our scriptures, you know, because Paul says we're saved by faith. doesn't say faith alone. Peter would later sit there and say, uh, some things of Paul are hard to understand because people take Paul out of context. All the scriptures, we got to sit there and make sure that all the scriptures are put in context with one another. If we look just at Matthew 25, nowhere in Matthew 25 where the final judgment is, does God talk about faith at all? So someone could say, see, we're saved just by works. If that's the only thing you do is take Matthew 25. See, it doesn't say anything about faith, so we're saved only by works. Then you go to a lot of Paul's readings and it says, faith, faith, faith. Then you go to James here, which people fight back and forth about. And it's always going, you know, we fight with our brothers and sisters who are Protestant. To me, a complete waste of time. Our job and what God wants us to do is to bring non-believers to Jesus, to have them have eternal life. So let's stop saying that we either, know, either one of us don't know Jesus. I promise you I know Jesus. I spend an hour with him every day. I promise you I do. And so you promise me that you do, and you not, might not be Catholic. Well, okay, I'm going to take it you know Jesus. Please take it that I know Jesus. So let's stop trying to prove each other wrong, could we? And start focusing on those in the damnation that will be gone from God forever to bring them into the reality of knowing Jesus Christ. And here again in James' letter, he starts, he's fighting about the faith and works because we've been fighting about this forever. But again, it's not either or, it's both and. So here he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says they have faith but does not have works? Can that faith save them? And again, faith alone. Can that faith save them? If a brother or sister has nothing to wear and no food for the day, keep in mind Matthew 25, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but do not give them the necessities for their body, what good is that? So also faith of itself if it does not have works, is dead. Indeed, someone might say, you have faith and I have works. You demonstrate your faith to me without works, and I will demonstrate my faith to you from my works. 
You believe that God is one? Well, you do well. Even the devils believe and they tremble. Do you want proof, you ignoramus? Is that nice? <laughs> He's calling him a, I, you know, ignoramus. Look it up. You ignoramus, do you want proof? You ignoramus that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac upon the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by the works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed in God and was credited to him as righteousness. And he is called a friend of God. See how a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. It's the only time you see faith and alone. Not we're saved by faith alone, but we're not saved by faith alone. This is uh, uh, James chapter 2, verse 24. And in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as a body without a spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now, I am not doing this to argue with my Protestant brothers or sisters. Again, I was brought to faith in Christ through Billy Graham. So that's not the point of this. But the point is to explain to you why we believe what we believe. And we have believed this since the beginning of the church. The first one that questioned this was Martin Luther. Huh? Well, I'm sure there's <laughs> all kinds of people that question it throughout the centuries, but the one that we know the most would be Martin Luther. But Martin Luther never wanted to be separated from the church. It was really the followers. There's a whole history of it. It's political, but it also has to do with money, and it has to do with faith, of course. But I love, I think the, the, the devil loves when we Christians fight with each other instead of being focused on all the people who don't know Jesus. Huh? So we are saved by grace through faith and works. But it's all grace. We fight over how we receive that grace. But let's stop fighting. Nature knows love today and forever. Amen. Okay, so let us go to the questions. Okay, here we go down. Harry, hi, Harry. Hope it's warmer in uh, France than it is right now here. It's crazy. I had a fine time in Houston when I was in Houston this past week. When I got there, it was 87 for the high on Friday and then on... Uh, Saturday, it dropped down to like 45. It was like, really? And they all blamed me, and I said, don't blame me. But anyway, so I hope it's warmer. It's cold here today, too. Um, tomorrow's supposed to get a little bit better, and then Saturday, uh, Saturday even better. I have to cut my grass. I haven't cut it in two weeks, and then it's going to be, I'll be gone for two weeks, and it's going to be a mess out at my house. But anyway, <laughs> that's okay. I used to have this old man who used to cut the grass, uh, greatest guy ever. And I told him, uh, Nick, uh, I said, don't cut my grass, you know, but he did it every day until he died. And, uh, but there's no one else out there who'll cut my grass anymore, so I got to get out there. The problem is I don't get out there enough. Okay, should we start with the Ave Maria, seeing it is May? Uh, we started with Mary, not the Ave Maria, but it's okay. We still 
everything. Mary draws us always to Jesus. How would you explain the rosary and how to pray it to young kids and then to teens? The rosary is, again, something I pray every day. And uh, the best way to say the rosary is it's a, again, they might know what mantra is. It's kind of a mantra. It's not fully a mantra. But it's words that we say to meditate on the mystery. So the best thing I always tell people is, again, don't say the rosary to try to control God or control the Blessed Mother. You know, again, people do this selfishly and say, oh, if I get to say this rosary, I'll get what I want. Please. You say the rosary to meditate on the life of Jesus and Mary so you can become more like Jesus. And Mary's the first disciple and the greatest disciple. So you you look at Jesus and you learn how to be a disciple. And again, so when I teach the rosary to kids, when I'm talking to them, I say, so I want you to go there and like go, and they all know about the nativity, huh? Or the, they all know about Christmas and say, so think about, you know, that nativity center there, but think, make it real that there Mary is. She's only 14, tradition says, 14 years old, just a kid. So she had to say yes to faith at 14, that God would give her a baby without her being intimate with anybody. That takes a lot of faith. And we focus on that at the Annunciation now. And it's always my favorite places in the world next week. God willing, when I get to be at the very place, Mary said yes, the church, the Annunciation. The very place the Incarnation took place. Fantastic. And we're going to be in Bethlehem a couple days, so it's always a... Bethlehem is not... uh, we won't get that but anyway but the the place that mary said yes and then you go and so when they're saying oh like i tell people all the time don't say the rosary unless you meditate on the mystery you know it's not some ritual and it's not magic it's a prayer for us to enter into the knowledge of jesus so we can become more like him so again you watch jesus be born when you're meditating on the nativity of jesus you can smell the manure you can smell the hay you can smell, like I once said, the B.O. of the people, but the people start yelling at me. They did not have B.O. The Blessed Mother smelt like uh, roses. Okay, I'm not going to get fight with piety. Whatever. She was like us in all things. You know, B.O. is the natural way a body smells. There's nothing bad about it, but beside the point. So you watch Jesus be born however he was born. Joseph is the first one to hold Jesus in his arms. Joseph puts Jesus in the arms of Mary. Mary holds Jesus. Think about this 14-year-old girl looking down at this baby who the angel says is God. Think about it. And then as she is holding Jesus, she's always generous, huh? She looks at you because you're meditating and you're there. And she says, would you like to hold him? Then you hold Jesus. As you're holding Jesus, think the same thing. You're holding the God of the universe in your hands, in your being. And we think how blessed Mary is. And of course, so blessed to have the physical body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus inside of her for eight months, nine months. We get to have the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus in us our whole life from baptism. And every time we receive the Eucharist, God, we just don't hold him. God takes up residence inside of us and lives inside of us. And so then I got to think, now I got to be this tabernacle. 
Now I got to show the world Christ inside of me. So that's how you teach them how to say the rosary, especially during this month, huh? Okay. Hi, Jack. Should we start? Okay, da da da. Just curious can Catholics sue people or companies? Sure, they can because of justice. What does it mean to be baptized as priest, prophet, and king? Every time everybody's been baptized, like I just baptized uh, a child last Sunday, a week ago. And, you know, a week ago. And uh, when we, before we do the full baptism, no, after we do the baptism, we anoint them with chrism. And the word chrism comes from the word Christ. It means the anointed one. And we anoint every child a priest, a prophet, and a king. So if you've been baptized in a Catholic church, you were anointed a priest, a prophet, and a king. We talked about this during the, the sacraments when we talked about sacraments of baptism. Anyway, the anointing says you're a priest. And as a priest, you're to offer up your life to God. Now, you are a priest, and I am a priest. I am an ordained priest, but you are a priest in the faithful. So even when we go to Mass, we both do our priesthood. That's why um, when I say the Lord be with you and you go and also with you, that's how two priests, two different types of priests, enter in and worship God. That's why I'm a big one at my parish and people go crazy at me that when someone receives communion, I'll say the body of Christ, they must say Amen. I will not give them communion until they say amen. Why? Because they're operating their faith. They're saying, I would die for the reality that this is Jesus. I'm receiving him. But they're also operating their priesthood. Again, in the old uh, mass, the Latin mass, the priest would say amen for the people. That's why Vatican Council changed it. They want full participation. It's not the priest's job to say amen for you. You're to make an act of faith during the very receiving of the Eucharist. But that's also how you share your priesthood, how you operate your priesthood by saying amen, by participating in a mass. First thing, you are a prophet, meaning that you must hear God's word. A prophet doesn't preach the future, though it can, they can. A prophet is one who hears God's word. That means they're listening in scripture and in prayer, and they speak that word to the community. So I, as a priest, I'm a prophet just by doing what I'm doing right now, listening to God in prayer and speaking it to you. But we're all called to be prophets. We're all called to speak God's word to the world. And if we all lived as prophets, the world would be converted. But too often, we just want, leave it to the priest, let the priest convert others. There's so many people, I was just thinking about this today as I was going, I had to go shopping, and as I went food shopping, I'm looking at all these people, and I'm thinking, none of these people are going to church. And I can't reach them because they're not going to come to church. But my people can reach them. And if only we could get everybody in our churches to truly be prophets and reach out and know it's part, they part, Part of what they do is bring salvation to others by preaching God's word, but they need to read the word to preach it. So the second thing we do, we're a prophet. We're baptized a prophet. The third thing happens, we're priest, prophet, and then we're king or queen. means God has given authority to us, even when he created the world. And like when Pope Francis wrote the thing on uh, taking care of the world, it's because God gave the world to us, and we have responsibility to take care of it. 
because God gave it to us and we must take care of it. So it's not like this la-la, you know, oh, they're just a bunch of peace lovers. Shut up. Just stop that stupidity. We do it because God gave us the responsibility to do it. That's why we must take care of the world because God told us to. Huh? So we don't dismiss that gift or we don't use it and we don't abuse it. So we got to care for it. Teaching of the church. And so when Francis says stuff like that, people go crazy because people are selfish, miserable human beings. Even Christians are more concerned about what they can get instead of how they can truly minister and take care of other things. So we got to make sure we're in Christ Jesus. So as a king or queen, we have responsibility. So we always have that free will. So we pray that we always surrender our free will to the will of Almighty God and to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay? Priest, prophet, and king. Hope that helps. Okay. Just curious. Chris Walker, hi, Father Larry. Thank you for your prayers. Yep, I saw your response to your thing today, too. Michelle, hi, Father. Great to have you back here teaching us. We missed you. I've adopted saying the Angelus at six and six. If someone is talking to me at that time, do I interrupt to pray the Angelus? No, you say it right after. Again, if you interrupt the middle, it calls all attention to you. So I'm with pious people sometimes on the middle of retreat. I say, oh, Father, we've got to say the Angelus at six o'clock. No, you don't have to say the Angelus. Nowhere in the teaching of the church does it say you have to say the Angelus. It's a pious practice, a good practice. Um, but you can say it five minutes after. It's to get people to pray. <laughs> but say, oh, excuse me, at six o'clock, I can't talk to you right now. I've got to say the Angelus. Okay, now I'll talk to you. I'm done. Please. That's not the kind of people that God is calling us to be. And I know that's not for you. But I'm just, you asked, so I had to say something. Okay. Thanks for sharing the Holy Land videos with us. So let's hope we won't have, <laughs> when we get there, I have to take a, uh, yeah, I was just thinking I got to take all the stuff. So hopefully, pray everything works and I will do it. Okay. What a blessing. Exactly. My son, one of the 105 that were confirmed last night in St. Philip Neary in Fort Mole. Wow. 105 kids. Can you imagine? We're not even close to anywhere in our diocese. Um, congratulations, right. What service projects does your parish do with families? Uh, each one, there's people have take care of families. There's, we have, a, uh, but we don't have, um, like we take care of the poor uh, with a, foothing, a clothing store and a, a, food clo a, food sto a clothing store and a food pantry. We have um, various groups that do different things, but we don't have, many parish-type things, that would be an interesting thing um, to look at. Thanks for bringing it up. Hi, Audrey. How are your diabetic members after all the chocolates? Uh, I haven't checked. I just looked at it today, and I go, I haven't talked about it. Hi, Father Larry, Julia. We hope uh, you have a great trip to the Holy Land. Yeah, me too. Tell your husband I said hi. Okay. Mary Claire. Father Larry, thank you for explaining the church teaching on God's ability to save everyone. God is not limited. You got that. I continue praying for my grandnieces and nephews who have not been baptized. Okay. Thank you. Okay, let's, we're going to come back to that. Uh, will the praise and worship tonight be live streamed? I have no idea. Diane usually does that, and Diane's on vacation, so 
Uh, I don't know. No, I'll tell you the truth, I just don't know. But you can still pray. Uh, but I'll be doing the live, and I won't be doing the live stream, but I'll be doing the praise and worship tonight. Or leading, and I won't you know, I'll also be praying and worshiping, but still. Anyway, can a Catholic, can a practicing Catholic layperson ordain someone's wedding and marry them? Like become an or online ordained for a state recognizing wedding. Would this be against the faith? Yes, if one of them are Catholic. Also, is marriage outside the church even considered marriage? It's still considered marriage, but it's not con like a Catholic, except for a Catholic. If a Catholic gets ordained, ordained, married outside the church without the permission of the church, you can get permission from the bishop to get married. Like if you're marrying a Jewish man, you get married in a synagogue. Um, with permission of the church, now it would be valid. But if a Catholic does, there you go. They're going to live stream it tonight. Mo said she'll live stream it. Anyway, but a Catholic is bound to get married by the church. So they cannot get married outside the church without, and if they do, it's an invalid wedding. Uh, it doesn't exist. So if uh, two people go in and get married by a JP, the church doesn't call that a wedding. Now, if two Protestants go and get married by a JP, the church would call that a wedding because they're doing it by what they believe. Uh, but Catholics are bound to get married in the church. And the Catholic should not be getting ordained. That would be uh, totally wrong. I've had one of my kids do it years ago. I didn't even, I just said it really, really, really. No, it's not valid. And the, the priest, the person would be in sin and have to go to confession for doing that getting ordained to marry somebody okay there we go that's one there there father larry thank you for being our shepherd i'm in the process of setting up my final wishes when i discovered cremated ashes cannot be spread out over the sea exclamation point when i discovered they must be entombed or buried secondly they cannot be placed in an urn or commingled with your spouse. Thirdly, why does the bishop of the diocese have the right to not allow a cremation funeral mass? Can you please expound on providing information? First of all, you're allowed to be cremated. Second of all, you have to take your cremated and either bury it. You are allowed to have an urn. Of course, you're allowed to have an urn. Our Catholic cemetery here in the diocese not only has uh, colibariums, which is places you, you take your ashes and you put them in an urn and you place that in the colibarium. So you are allowed to be uh, do that. Bishops always have a lot of rights in their own diocese. So I've never heard of a bishop who hasn't allowed people to be cremated because the church allows it or to be have a, a mass for cremation. I mean, I do it all the time. I mean, all the time. More and more people are being cremated. But it's just because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You just don't, uh, can't be just uh, mingled with others or it's a temple. And so it has to be buried and treated as if it contained the body of Christ. And it did. Hope that helps. Ron... My husband of 27 years has been having an affair for four years with a wealthy woman he met in therapy. And last year, it was revealed they had a baby together intentionally. When we were still married, he then filed for divorce. Well, I hope so. Uh, we are taught to forgive and to pray for our enemies. I'm finding that difficult. <laughs> I would find it difficult myself. But listen. When you and I don't forgive, then you give that ex-husband of yours the ability to make you a victim and hurt you all the days of our, your life. You forgive others so that um, you can have peace. 
And again, I always go back to what your husband did to you was very wrong, very hurtful. But we do to God the Father every day, it's very wrong and very hurtful. We sin, and by our sin we kill the God of the universe on the cross. And every day we come back to him and say, I'm sorry, Father, for killing your son again. And then we do it again the next day, and then we do it again the next day, and then we do it again the next day, and then we do it again the next day, and we do it again the next day. And the Father still forgives us. We need to be like God. So, it's an act of the will. Father, I forgive them, and I ask you to forgive them. And every time the devil brings it back up so that person can still have power over you, you just say, Father, I forgive them, and I ask you to forgive them. And when you do that, you're becoming more and more like Jesus. And you can do that because Jesus lives inside of you. So get out of the way and forgive so that you do not continue to be a victim to what your husband did to you. Okay? No, it's easier said than done. But that'll at least get you there. Okay. Let's go back here. So, yes, we're going to have praise and worship tonight. Bruce, have you ever pondered, Father Larry, how a person who says they are a child of God speaks the way they do to you at times? I've never understood nastiness of some. (laughs) Me neither. Uh, I cut off almost every day. I just uh, hide people from my channel on YouTube because they're just nasty. I mean, again. (sighs) But, again, I've been nasty in my life. When I was younger, much nastier, but there are times that um, we all do stupid things. But hopefully, uh, when I get nasty, it's usually because someone tried to hurt me and I'm, uh, or tried to corner me on something and I'm trying to protect myself. I don't do this, think it through, but as I look back on it, some people think about being nasty to people and I just don't get it. Oh, yes, Billy Graham, a holy man. Father, thank you for the greatest evangelist of all. He is, Saint. Uh, so Catholics know the truth. Margaret, I always get in trouble when I try to reach out to people in the faith. I'm told, let the priest handle it. Well, again, because that's the way the devil loves it, so you don't. You can always tell people what, uh, what God in his mercy has done for you. That's fantastic. That's what Jesus told people to do. So you listen to, the, you listen to Jesus, not to the crazy people. In our town, the Angelus is rung at 7 a.m., noon, and 7 p.m. At the Abbey, it's at 6 a.m., 1 p.m., and 6 p.m. Because at noon, they are praying the office. Yes, so they do it at different times. But traditional 6 a.m., 12 p.m., and 6 p.m. is traditional time to say uh, the thing for whatever reason. Jolie, dear Father, please pray for young people who are woke and think they are born in different bodies. I know. We do. Have you ever been to Billy Graham Library here in Charlotte? No, but I want to get there. It's uh, If not, it's literally three minutes from Charles the next time you're in town. Okay, there you go. That'd be great. Hi, Father. Can I attend a funeral in a Mormon church? You can attend a funeral anywhere you'd like. If, they, if they're willing to be there to be with people at that time, it's fine. You can go to one Jewish, whatever. Of course you can. You couldn't participate in their service, meaning if they have communion, you couldn't receive communion, but you can be there. Uh, I'm Catholic. Is this wrong? No, of course. Have a great trip. I will, God willing. Um, Thanks for all your prayers for travels. 
what's the praise and worship you're speaking of tonight every month we have praise and worship in my parish so we put out the blessed sacrament and uh, we just worship him with songs and prayers for an hour yeah it's one of my favorite things so we're doing that tonight hopefully i got you know yesterday i start getting this cold and i have a sore throat and all that stuff i, I don't need this especially before i get to go to the holy land even though hopefully it'll be out of my system by next tuesday my prayer, please. I had a second stroke, and it left me blind in my left eye. We are praying for you, Helen, all of us who are watching and all the people will be watching later. So that's all I got here, but I still got plenty here. So, hi, Father Larry. Our son is 21 years old and has pretty severe OCD along with scrupulosity. He's constantly worried that if he dies, he'll go to hell because he's not sure he's committed a moral sin or not. I have listened to many of your recordings over the years and thought I heard you mention something to the effect when we die, God will give us a choice to choose him or reject him. Yes, I talked about this uh, before, uh, that three times, again, not teaching of the church, but three times the Lord, according to uh, Faustina, Jesus goes and says three times, begs them to receive his mercy before they send him to hell. But again, what you say, your son has to know, and you got to make sure you tell him that he's saved because of what Jesus did for him not because of what he does for Jesus. And so I would, if I was you, I'd sit there and uh, go to Google and say all the things that Jesus, how we're saved, scriptures that talk about how we're saved, and print them all out and give them to your son and have them read him. There are most things, how Jesus pays the penalty for our sins again and again and again, because what you think is what you feel. And the more he puts in his head how he has been uh, saved by the blood of Jesus, the more he'll start to know that. Okay? Okay. Uh, produce fruit video. Oh, it wasn't the season for figs. Why would Jesus curse a tree for not producing fruit? It wasn't supposed to produce fruit at that time. I've asked the same question, <laughs> to tell you the truth, and I've never got it either, I've, and I've never had the time just to sit there and read it, but... If you put that in uh, Google in the Catholic teaching, why you'll find uh, you'll find a better. I'm not a scripture scholar, but I've yeah I've I've never sat there and looked it up, but I've often said the same. It was on time for fruit. What's the matter? I know. I know. I have a question. Which topical Bible study should I buy? Do you have a favorite that you would point me to, please? If you could help me, I want to make sure I get a Catholic version. If there is a difference, I wouldn't buy a. Um, uh, you know, well, yeah, if you want uh, to get you just to help, it's not deeply scriptural. It is very scriptural, but it's more for, it's like uh, Bishop Barron's, uh, uh, the four gospels and the letters, uh, they're expensive, but there's great commentaries there that would help you. And again, uh, I always go online and I just look for Catholic commentaries on a particular verse I'm looking for, and that helps tremendously. Let's see what else is here. Can we look forward to the BOL music group playing and singing just as I am? Well, that would be great, but uh, um, there's another person and uh, two people will be new. I don't know how they're going to be tonight, so we're just praising. We're just, I have no idea how it's going to be. Uh, da, da, da. Just wanted to add my God bless you to all your blessed pilgrims. Thank you. Prayers for priests, Bishop Pope Francis. Blessed, blessed Mother Teresa book. Best Mother Teresa book I have found is um, by, uh, uh, I, did a, I did a thing for it when I read it. It was fantastic. Uh, 
Mother Teresa, let's just call Mother Teresa by, it's by Monsignor Mossberg. Fantastic. Um, so I haven't read all the Mother Teresa books, but the one I, I had to do a, um, you know, one of the things on the, for the book cover I did for it. And I was very, very impressed with that book. Monsignor Mossberg, I think it's just called Mother Teresa, if I remember correctly. Okay, I went to a healing mass you spoke at in Northampton, Pennsylvania about a year ago. I think it'd be longer than that. It completely changed me. I learned to put God first when you had us write down the five priorities. It didn't go over so well with some people. I know. <laughs> I put God first and got accused of getting crazy, paranoid, and more. May I suggest you follow a great Catholic psychologist who also wrote many amazing books like an easy-to-understand Bible, Dr. Michael Koch. I follow Jesus Christ period. So I don't, uh, uh, like when I go to Catholic parishes and, uh, like even this last week on Friday in, uh, uh, down in Texas, the first night they looked at me like they wanted me to die. Not all of them, of course, because I was strong and, um, I want to bring people who don't know Jesus to Jesus. I'm more of a fisherman when it comes to that. I'm not into these people that want to hear, look how great I am to be a Catholic. Because that fills the pride and they'll go to hell. But too many Catholics, just like the speakers who speak to them and tell them that they're great, I'm not one of those speakers. And I don't ever want to be one. I want to be a speaker who brings the unsaved home. Other ones are fine. They have their priests they like, and they can listen to these uh, priests on uh, TV and everything else. It tells them how great they are and how great we all are to be Catholic and how we can judge the rest of the world. But I'm not interested in that, and that's not what God has called me to do. God has called me to bring the unsaved to him. And so many daily mass people don't care for me. Uh, the religious people don't care for me. And I get it. I wouldn't care for me either. But the people have been away from the church. Yeah, that's the ones I'm speaking to and ones I'm hoping to get home. But anyway, I got to go see my shrink. So thank you all. Please pray for me these uh, next couple of weeks because uh, it takes a lot. I'm, I get no downtime in these two weeks. and I have 74 people. Now, I'm not the one supposed to be leading this. John Edwards is supposed to be leading this. He asked me. Now, we got to make sure that John Edwards does the leading and not me. I'm there to pray and to say mass and everything else. John Edwards is supposed to do everything. So, pray that John Edwards does all that. And if you know John Edwards, or if John Edwards, if you're watching, this is your job to lead this group. I'm there to help you, support you, and to lead them spiritually to God. But you're the one running the group. Aren't you excited? So pray for me, all of you, and I will be praying for you, and I'll be, again, showing you as much as I can from the Holy Land. Uh, so know my prayers and all the special places. I'll remember you and your intentions. Please remember me and the people who will be with me, that God will keep us safe and under his will. I love you, and I'm praying for you. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you. He who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.